The Reset Rebel podcast with me, Joe Yule. And in the last few years, the scene in Santillalia, my hometown on the island, has changed dramatically. Gone are a lot of the slightly outdated seafront hotels, and in their place, up have popped what you might call a more gentrified outlook, with the likes of W Hotel, for example, claiming their place on the front line, and a lot of upgrading all around. This has had a direct impact on the kinds of shops that have swooped in and claimed a lot of the places that over the last few years have become free. And finally, we're seeing a real thriving town ready to return for the summer. In fact, just a few weeks ago, on March the 1st, Santillalia had its first carnival parade for years that saw the streets rammed with residents and locals celebrating what really feels like the end of an era and the beginning of our return to business as usual. For me, this felt like a real moment to see the absolute joy of a community who have not only been shut down, but many have been mostly hiding behind closed doors. And suddenly, that felt like the start of something beautiful, a primavera-style kind of springing back to life. And while I was in Mexico and watched the whole thing unfolding on Instagram, one of my favourite clips on stories as I spectated from my hotel room was at the town's newest eatery, Pepita, where an entire Spanish band parked up and was serenading those dining inside from outside the windows. I couldn't help experiencing a kind of real infectious sense of joy because the last few years have been tough, but especially so for restaurants and bars. So for today's episode, I wanted to go to Pepita to catch up with one half of the husband and wife duo who created the brand new restaurant, which opened in October last year to serve the local community and familiarise themselves with those living in this humble town until things, of course, began to make a comeback just like they are now. And I couldn't resist but take Dave Bone up on his offer for a little kitchen hangout and catch up. Don't go away. Why does the overnight show its teeth and bite when I gently asked it to play nice? Nobody let me through the telephone, bad parts multiply. So we're here in the kitchen of Pepita for today's episode and I'm joined by a co-creator of the restaurant, Mr. Dave Bone. Good afternoon. Good afternoon and welcome to you, Joe, in the engine room of Pepita. You know, I'm feeling... <laughs> Sound <laughs> effects optional, sorry. <laughs> I thought that was sort of a bit of Thomas the Tank Engine there. A little bit, a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like this, you know, it does feel quite like a fiery, uh, you know, inside space of a, of a steam engine, potentially, but it's, it's looking incredibly and remarkably clean. That was the first thing I noticed, how spotless your kitchen is, Dave. Well, thank you so much, but it is a very small space. And once you start pirouetting with a, you know, a cloth or a sponge or some soap, I mean, it's pretty easy to keep this baby clean. Yeah, open the dishwasher, steams it all out. It's fantastic. It's all good. Like a domestic god. Um, yes, yeah, some people call me a god, yes. <laughs> or maybe I was just dreaming, actually. Did I make that up? I don't that know. before or after they ate your food? <laughs> oh, definitely after. 
I'm sure that must happen a lot. It does, it does indeed. Perks of the job. God comes with God the God comes with dessert. Well, I tell you what, that's a good tagline, isn't it? It is a little bit. I'm going to keep that one. In the pocket. In the banter bank. It's Not working that. for me. That sounded deadly. We just got that out with a good literary of words. Well done. to see. Now, I'm sensing a little bit of a, a little accent there from uh, up north. Um, it is there. I've been working very, very hard over the years uh, to calm it down. <laughs> but yeah, no Liverpool boy, Liverpool boy, well, Merseyside, shall we say. There's still an L in the postcode of Formby, so it still counts as Liverpool to me. Uh, but, you know, they might not agree. <laughs> Posh Scouse, I, I think it goes. Posh Scouse. I mean, that's kind of what I had you down in my, uh, my accent list of... Uh, audible uh, <laughs> narrators and creators yes, yes. well left Liverpool at a very young age one of the things I was reading about you were that your uh, fondest memories are uh, you know of your grandmother cooking on her agar in the kitchen in Liverpool and I feel like you know that could be a nice little place to begin this podcast because you created some beautiful recipes and one um, specifically for um, a book that you know you've been parts of lots of books actually but this particular one was where you'd created a uh, a recipe inspired by your grandmother see that was for uh, grand dishes which was all about obviously grandmother's cooking and home cooking uh kind of took me back to childhood yeah so it's like we used to go to grandma's every sunday the whole like family connection all the cousins all the everybody together uh eating and uh, enjoying and playing football in the garden and so on but uh fondest memory yeah it's kind of like uh it's a homage to her lamb Hot pot, I suppose they call it. <laughs> but it was bloody delicious. Obviously, I reinvented the wheel a little bit on it to uh, make my grandma look absolutely special. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's a lovely little dish. I love the actual uh, the story to the book. It's really, uh, really takes you back and humbling to, you know, throw out the chef ego and actually just start cooking some really natural, homey food. So it's a really great experience to do. Nice to know that there was a kind of a woman that maybe inspired that journey at the very, very beginning. I mean, it often does, you know, sometimes uh, come from, from the home, the home place and within the family. Yeah, 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 yeah. So grandma was a good cook. I will give her that, definitely. Um, no one else in the family can, uh, except for me. <laughs> My dad's side, apparently his dad, uh, which I never got to meet, unfortunately, before it died before I was born. But uh, apparently he was a cook in the Navy. Uh, and apparently I look like him quite a lot. So maybe I've been inherited the cooking gene through that way. Who knows? Who knows? But yeah, fond memories actually as a child, cooking with sister. Uh, I think the first thing we tried was a double-baked blue cheese souffle at the age of, I don't know, nine, out of a cookbook in the kitchen, which was quite fun. And I suppose that's where I kind of got the itch, I would say. So the cheesy itch. The cheesy itch. <laughs> no, that's just bloody rude. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to be serious over here. I'm not. Talking about cheesy itches. <laughs> I often you got an STD for that? <laughs> I knew it wouldn't take long, no, Dave Bowden. No, it doesn't. He always comes out. <laughs> Things would go downhill. <laughs> <laughs> or uphill. I mean, oh, well. it depends which way you look at it. But I think, you know, it's 
a beautiful story that you know your grandmother kind of inspired you to get in the kitchen and you you were in your first professional kitchen at the age of 15 that's that is very early doors for anyone even who's been there it is early doors it is early doors I suppose I mean I was 15 just turning 16 but it all you know it's it was just something that I always knew I wanted to do and it was like let's let's just do it I'm not very academic I didn't want to go to catering college because wow more school really so it's like learn on the job so it was like yeah okay first role was what pots and prep and it's like woohoo what a highlight into the industry but that's how you do it you cut your teeth you learn from the bottom and you work your way up you know so peeling potatoes, lots and lots, 50 kilos, going home with spuds under my nails, basically, uh, washing dishes for everybody. That's how it all began. Uh, and then into simple, doing a section and doing simple tapas. And then once you got into that, I realized there must be more to this. There must be more. So I kind of left Leicester. Uh, I moved to Nottingham, a bit more of a gourmet kind of scene for the Midlands, I would say. I uh, did a few rosettes there, learnt my, my trade in a bit of fine dining. I mean, for those maybe listening to this on Ibiza who have no idea, like me, what a rosette. I mean, I've seen a, a rosette on a horse, but what does that mean in the cooking industry? In the cooking. <laughs> first, in, first in show. It's pretty much the same. It's just chefs with badges and rosettes. Long hair. Long hair. And tails. <laughs> I think we'll see a few of those these summer. Of there. <laughs> um, no, but rosettes, it's, uh, well, it's like the Michelin Guide. It's basically all starts from the AA, uh, driving car... Uh, insurance I suppose so they do guidebooks across England and tell you what destinations to stop at uh, Rosettes is that uh, Michelin guide is obviously Michelin tires and it's a food guide as well uh, so there's Michelin and there's Rosettes That's- Was that always your dream to get yourself a Michelin star? Uh, see always from the beginning I've gone mm, I don't want a Michelin star because I just find it really pretentious but saying that Ha <laughs> ha! One has to learn how to cook properly, I believe. Uh, so I made it a pretty much a solid effort to go and work with some of the best that I could in London. That's why I moved to London because it's if you're going to cook, you got to cook with the big boys, and you've got to do these places to actually learn your trade. Before that, what was it? What was it like working with like Tom Aitken? Tom Aitken, <laughs> the Ginger Ninja, Shark Eye. Uh, beautiful man, amazing, amazing character, uh, absolute demon in the kitchen. There are so many horror stories. If you want to check Google, I'm sure you can find them. But for me, he was um, a real inspiration, uh, really embedded some really decent skills. Um, can't think of the word. Uh, experienced but like taught me how to hold myself in a kitchen and how to deal with the pressures of it and how to push myself always and finer details and just having consistency what does he he teach you about how to how to hold yourself in a kitchen and how to how to get over such hard work well basically if he looks at you you move faster (laughs) and if you're not shouted out and left alone you're doing it right (laughs) so not being on the pecking order of the uh strong end of the stick shall we say is like oh well I'm doing well this is good (laughs) but obviously then he I made my way up through the ranks with Tom uh, and got to be one of his sous chefs and opened uh, the first Tom's Kitchen Brasserie as a sous which was fantastic 
uh, and that's where I started to learn about local produce and uh, the values of using uh, local uh, foods and seasonal, hyper-seasonal food. Uh, and in a really, really busy environment, and I got to manage that kitchen, which is like, you know, it was a dream come true. And then after that, I left to go and take my first head chef role, where I got my own rosette. <laughs> Good pony. Good pony. Well indeed. done. I rode it right over the finish line. It was great. <laughs> Best in class. Thank you so much. <laughs> I mean, that must have been quite a, you know, obviously to, to, to come from Tom's lineage, really, though, is, is a really great starting point. And I'm kind of, I'm still intrigued. Like, what else did Tom teach you apart from, you know, not getting shouted at and being a good boy? And he must have given you some, some pretty good, I mean, being a chef from what I've witnessed and the people I've also spoken to on this podcast is really hard work. And it really is something that totally takes it out of you. And you've got to be kind of tough as nails from the people that I've met to actually see it through. And you've not been doing this for you know a couple of uh, weeks or a couple of months it's been decades it's yeah it's a long time <laughs> 25 years but no tom basically it's the the strength of tom was a, a phenomenal so i used to obviously try and impress tom thinking oh i know i'll get in at six in the morning and butcher the, the butcher the lamb before anybody so i'm actually ahead of my preparation so i could look even cooler uh, and no, he was there. He was still there. He was there at like four in the morning. <laughs> it's like you could never outdo Tom. So there you go. There's something Tom taught me. <laughs> it's like you want to be the best, just stay in the kitchen, <laughs> sleep there, eat everything, and just die in the kitchen. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't. No, no, no. We all don't. We all don't die. No. <laughs> I think the nuances of Tom, of like the organization and just the finer detail i mean following recipes where it's you know 32 turns of a pepper mill and then you try and get clever and go i'll weigh that (laughs) you know so i don't have to count the bloody turns on the mill because someone might distract me and i might lose count and then i'm buggered (laughs) but that doesn't work (laughs) because he would know he would come and taste it and go that's not right your two pepper mill turns short or whatever it was his palate is amazing but the thing that the thing with tom is like i did an event with him uh, i can't remember who it was for someone like gucci or cartier or something like that and this man was on a section literally i don't know 15 15 pounds on the go cool as a cucumber ice cold no falter just slick moved like a ballerina or an ice skater under so much pressure doing so much work and everything was immaculate and perfect and I went that's what I need to do that's who I want to be are you there yet? Uh, well I definitely pirouette like a ballerina in my kitchen right now because it's all by myself (laughs) but you know I think I think yes it taught me how to deal with the pressure so I would say yeah I am a cool cucumber (laughs) well you haven't broken a sweat yet so that's good no not quite yet (laughs) I'm working on it (laughs) tears <laughs> <That's> laughter. <laughs> well, I'm glad about that. I mean, you do have a very good sense of humor for someone that stands on their feet all day and basically works pretty, pretty hard. And I think you do get to the point, right, where you just kind of have to laugh about that fact. I think definitely you, <laughs> you know, we can all be the grumpy chef, which, you know, we all go through. Well, I believe we all go through. I know I did. I was an absolute ass for, you know, the beginning of my career as head chef or whatever. But then 
you kind of learn that it's like you know you can't just break balls all day long it kind of rubs off on you and you become this bitter twisted person so wow <laughs> 32 twists of dave <laughs> it's too much <laughs> so so then you kind of take that pressure and you take it inside and then you go do you know what what's better keep everyone uplifted you know you get like services in london could be like going to war it's like you know 450 people coming in an evening service there's 18 chefs there's loads of hot stuff going around and everyone's a little bit twitchy so we say too many coffees you know uh so yeah try and make light of the situation and try and keep everyone calm i think when you're calm and you cook it transmits something else than if you're (laughs) shitting yourself and crying in the corner it transmits to the food i think that plate's going to be rubbish so let's make it happy and joyful and that transmits to the food and you respect the ingredient and it'll respect you and that's where it is so now we uh sing songs to myself uh the cabbage (laughs) and the cabbage my sous chef over there is the thermomix it makes musical tunes that bring in light to my day it's (laughs) beautiful it is it is it is i should play it for you later <laughs> Pleasure in the anticipation, Dave. <laughs> Just a little sneak preview. <laughs> Thank you so much. Anytime. We were going to London, I think, after I think your we were in uh, London. <laughs> I was there. I was transported back to the big smoke straight away. And how was that though? I mean, obviously you had these big dreams, you were like head chefing at twenty five, you got to London, you didn't want to be this bitter twisted old ball breaker. But I think, you know, there must have been a moment where you kind of like, almost like when you enter a prison, you have to show the other prisoners that you're not going to take any nonsense. You have to assert your authoritarian cut man once then. <laughs> you will respect my authoritarian. <laughs> <God damn> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, there was a lot of that. Especially, well, first head chef role, I would say, obviously now I can look back and I'll go, wow, what an asshole. Didn't know how to manage anything. I was working like an absolute demon because I wasn't working clever. I was bulldogging and doing and running, and yes, I was getting the job done, but that came at a price. Uh, Which was? My sanity. (laughs) 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 Lots of beer. Uh, (laughs) And and a little bit of a, wow, I need to step out of this. (laughs) So actually, I'm going to jump now, because we're in London. Uh, That actual first head chef role actually took me to the maximum where I actually had to step out and go I know where I need to go I need to go and work on a beach so I decided to move to Egypt uh, and open a restaurant with two friends which was uh, meant to be relaxing (laughs) really wasn't (laughs) but bloody hard work but yeah try to take that respite be by nature be by the sea open my first restaurant Great success, actually, in Egypt. It was actually really, really good. We got to, not that I like TripAdvisor, but we got to number one on TripAdvisor in the Dahab village, which was quite an achievement in six months. Um, Learned to slow down a little bit and be a bit more friendly and a bit more zen. So then Happy Dave came out, the one that (laughs) likes to sing and pirouette. Perfect. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I think it's paying dividends from what I'm witnessing. It feels like a very calm... Very relaxed space thus far. Obviously, you know, service isn't on. (laughs) It gets cleansed every day. (laughs) It needs it. Service, I mean... Do you get your Palo Santo stick out and uh, give it a good uh, dowsing? Yes, I do indeed. I do indeed. We all need a bit of that, don't we? <laughs> we definitely do. Woo-hoo! <laughs> Not just the kitchen. Not just... 
<laughs> Come on, Joe. I mean, <laughs> is this getting serious? <laughs> Well, it, it really should, and it will. But I think, you know, so from Egypt, I mean, I, the, the thing I find interesting, particularly, obviously, the fact that you're working now in Ibiza and the fact that you decided to go from London to Egypt, <laughs> I don't think it's that easy to establish those relationships and find out where the best produce comes from and to figure it all out is like, that's a ridiculously brave step. Even if you needed a bit of zen, I feel like that could have been quite also kind of, stressful yeah kind of out of one frying pan into the other i suppose but the illusion well not the illusion but the thought process was yeah i can be by the beach and do that i didn't actually because i was so young <laughs> i didn't really think about the finer details of oh i need to go to the market at 1 a.m in the morning because they don't have fridges so if i don't get it as soon as the truck comes from cairo all the spinach and all the herbs are dead by the morning and then I can't use anything. So it turned into this logistical weirdness of, you know, donkey trails and midnight markets, uh, loading back up and going back to the restaurant and then going back home and then coming in to do breakfast and then coming in to lunch and then going into dinner. And before I knew it, I uh, was, what, I think I was about 100 kilos when I left London. Ooh, big boy. <laughs> you said it. Chicha bomba. <laughs> uh, but by the time I left Egypt, I was 70. <laughs> Brown, <laughs> like a god. <laughs> We're back little, to that again. Little link for your edit later. <laughs> a bronze Adonis. Uh, speaking a little bit of Arabic, but not a lot. They didn't want me to leave in the airport, by the way. Just uh, throw that in because it is quite funny. So had to leave because of... Um, uh, revolution. There you go. That was it. So then Daha became a no-fly zone for tourists. Yeah. Spiciness. Revolution. Closed restaurant. Sold stuff. Flew. Well, tried to fly back to London and got stopped in Cairo because they thought I'd stolen the British fat man's passport. <laughs> no, it is me. <laughs> I, got, I got the English quiz. It was so funny. What colour are the buses? <laughs> What color are the taxis? Are you know, serious? I am deadly serious. It was like, oh, this guy's robbed that fat man's passport. At least, <laughs> true story. <laughs> totally true. Uh, dear, can I see this photo? Have you got it anywhere? Uh, no. <laughs> I think we should put it up well, as a actually, shrine actually, on the corner actually, of the, uh, the, uh, to, the agar. <laughs> not to drop bombs, but if you look at my other book that I did, <laughs> Cook Like a Man. Cook Like a Man. I'm fat in that. <laughs> they do say don't trust a skinny chef, though, no? They do. Well, they do. And then in London, they do say don't trust a fat chef because that means you're lazy. <laughs> damned if you do, damned if you don't. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. So I'm a happy medium now. We're a happy medium. So I'm a little chichi and a little skinny and a little, you know, I'm there. You've got the, the flexibility exactly. and the versatility of being fat in the winter, skinny in the summer. You yeah. wait till we put you to work this exactly. summer. Exactly. Well, yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. Talk to us about Cook Like a Man, because that book was huge. And obviously for an a, amazing cause, a very beautiful uh, project. Remember charity. So... I had the great opportunity because basically one of uh, a chef that I work with, Ant Power, uh, just moved over from Australia uh, and he was part of the founding 13 of uh, Movember Charity. Uh, and he was kind of doing that on the side and cooking in the kitchens and we became great mates. 
having lots of fun in kitchens as we do. Uh, and then he was like, I've got this great idea. I want to start doing this book for November, all based on cooking at home, basically food, bringing people together to then debate on bigger issues of men's health mm-hmm. and illnesses that are very strong within uh, cancerous uh, illnesses which is a great thing to bring people together over a dinner table, especially, you know, stubborn old men and grumpy old men that don't show their feelings. So I thought it was a great thing. So we did this, basically, we did a series of these books. So it's like Cooking at Home, Eating from the Land. I can't remember all the titles. I'm so sorry. But they were really good fun. And then basically Penguin got interested and then compiled them all together to make this Bible, if you like, which is fantastic. It's fantastic. It raised, I can't remember the figures, but it was, it was phenomenal. Phenomenal amount of money for such a great cause. And, you know, Movember Charity is still going strong today. I don't grow a mustache anymore, though, I'm afraid. You've got one already. No, that's a beard, darling. <laughs> it's kind of connected. <laughs> it's all connected. Everything's connected. It, it's, it's kind of interesting because I like this idea that, you know, food has set the scene to enable these difficult conversations about man's health issues which I don't think more so now they're easy to talk about but I think perhaps when the book came out in 2013 that was a very different story and there's a lot of narrative now about you know young male suicides in England and um, you know a lot of testicular things weren't really being investigated in the way they should so I think you know it is important that you've done this kind of work to raise this storyline. No it's like yeah jokes aside I mean it is a very serious project and it's something that really I was very passionate about because you know Food is a great conversation starter. People have great conversations over dinner. It's like how people come together is, you know, having dinner, breaking bread. It's like that's what happens. And then, obviously, people relax over food. There's a common goal with the food and everyone's enjoying themselves. And then it can get into more serious conversations if one wishes to. I mean, for sure, you must have had some good conversations, even from this line of fire in the kitchen, though, because you're quite close to the table. I don't want to say anything too much, but I'm going to have to now, aren't I? So, the acoustics (laughs) in this kitchen are amazing. So, no one would actually believe, when the extraction's on and everything, I can hear bottom end everything and here is amazing like word for word wow <laughs> i'm gonna remember Don't that for the that table <laughs> what have you heard dave Go, what's no, no, on the street? Not, I, can't, I can't be that guy <laughs> i can't be that guy they might oh, not please. come back and eat <laughs> anything juicy mm, just my desserts <laughs> Okay. Well, we won't. Yeah, that, no, we no, can't, no we can't go there. We can't be gossip boys, can we, girls? No, no, I don't know. But you know, you're right. I think conversations are absolutely fueled by incredible food. But obviously, you know, you've got some beautiful wine pairings that I want to talk about shortly as well. That 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 happen with the food. So let's let's get into you know that transition from London. I mean, what brought you guys, both of you, you and Paula, obviously your other co-creator and beautiful wife. How did you guys end up in Ibiza? Uh, so obviously having Pilgrim Restaurant and then deciding to move back to London uh, we kind of saw London in a different light and we were just ready to go no this isn't us we need to do something we want to do something still connected to hospitality and be our passions obviously and work for ourselves and then in London I suppose from my side it's like sustainability 
uh, it's just thrown around as a word. It's just meant to be cool and whatever. And it's not something, you know, I just, it just feels empty and soulless to be able to like cook like this and just say, oh, it is this, you know, and it is that, but actually it's not. Is that what you saw? Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to tell tales, but yes, I think, you know, obviously there are uh, flagship places in London. I'm not saying this is across the board, but I kind of felt like that is, it's just a flippant phrase. And I think for me, uh, especially Paolo as well, it was like, I just want to be a bit more genuine about it. I want to do something. And it's like, where can I do that? Uh, We've both been to YB for on and off uh, separate times and so on. And it just kind of felt like the right place to start. There's a great culture here of uh, agriculture and farming, uh, connecting with like Abitha Produce and Gabby when I first came over just scouting out. Uh, she was such a great help. And it's a real eye-opener to what you can actually achieve and how much people don't actually eat Ibiza and Produce. You know, there's like 2% or something that's being utilised on the island. Apparently it's risen to 3.6 now. Well, thank you very much. I hope I'm part of that. Um, but it's like... But in at number one. <laughs> yes. Back in the charts there, Dave. <laughs> I know you like to be top of the old pot pickers. <laughs> I've, got, I've got the song in my head, but I can't get the words out. Oh. <laughs> but, but that's, I think that for us, is so, I can be so genuine about food here. You know, uh, the vegetables, everything is so fresh. I, I deal directly with farms and thinkers. I deal directly with small independent fishermen. I deal directly with, uh, you know, the butchers on the island. Uh, and then to translate that into dishes, it's, it's an absolute pleasure and joy, really. I don't actually feel I have to be that chefy about it because the quality is there. So it's just putting that across and letting people see that. I think that's so, so important. And one of the, you know, brilliant conversations that's woven through this podcast series is, is, you know, this desire to create more of a local consummation and, you know, to import less and eat and spend our money more locally, like across the board, not just, you know, with the people that live here, but the people that also visit the island. So the fact that you are doing that is really, really important. And we love Gabby, who's also been a guest on this podcast, talking about that exact theme. So I love the fact that she's helped you. Talk to me about the fishermen, because you say you've got these um, relationships with local guys, and I think that's really interesting. We've all seen Seaspiracy and worry about, you know, the story that's going on out there. But I think it's interesting to, you know, just to know, like, how did you set up that kind of um yeah that kind of collaboration so i mean that collaboration actually came from our ibasinko uh, electrician that then pointed me in the direction of the ibasinko fishermen uh that then i started to utilize them i mean it's you know these um, these um you know little relationships are popping up from living here it's getting out of the industrial system and going back to basics isn't it and this is how it is uh, making contact and having conversations with local people with small, like the fishermen having small boats, using the correct nets, not damaging the seabeds, catching things on line hooks, you know, looking after the species of the island as well. That's not overfished. It's limited, yes. Uh, it can be quite challenging when we're getting creative. And uh, as today, you've seen stormy seas outside. I don't know if I'll have fish on the menu tomorrow. But that's the joys of what we do. You know, I don't want everything available all the time if it's not. And we eat seasonally and that's it. If it's not there, then it's not there. 
That's very highly commendable. I like that because I think, you know, as you said, having something just on the menu permanently is not authentic. It's not, you know, in tune with how nature is. I mean, nothing is available all the time. You have to roll with the roll with the season, roll with the, you know, the weather as well, which this is kind of like a microclimate on this island. So, yeah, you don't know what is going to be coming next. No, but it's true. It's true because like... It is, it's the weather climate. You come into winter in Ibiza and everyone's not coming out at night. Everyone's like, you know, at home. They're going with the seasons themselves. Ibiza gives you that, it slows you down. And then you appreciate the seasons and you appreciate everything. So why not eat like that as well, you know? This is what it's all about. Why are we, you know, I don't want an avocado all year round, you know, or whatever it is. It's like, forget the plastic packaging as well. My God. It's a zero, zero plastic kitchen, which is like this other weird brainchild that I had. Is it possible? And it is possible. Is it more work? Yes, it is. But then the reward is massive. Massive. I'm not you feel good about yourself. <laughs> Always. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> now, look, we, if we can all just do what we can, and it, on a commercial level, me with the kitchen, if I can not be having glad wrap plastic cling film or you know single use plastics and filling up bins with like packaging it's like yeah if i can stop doing that then that's great you know mm-hmm. get rid of it use my wooden crate five times and go to the thinker myself even pick things sometimes actually which is quite rewarding as well Some really very mucky radishes that you've got going on over there well, yeah, so you know they- they're from the earth they're from the island for the island <laughs> tagline <laughs> but it's beautiful that I can actually see all this wonderful well, produce exactly. around me. It's zinging today, isn't it? It is zinging. It's zinging what, what different shades of green today. I feel like the Incredible Hulk a little bit or the Jolly Green <laughs> Giants. Mighty big, big so, peas you have. They are not peas. They're not peas, okay. <laughs> They're lovely, lovely fava beans which have just come into season. So normally when they get a little bit bigger in the season, you'll pod the shells and take the, the beans out. But these are so tender in new season. What I'm doing in the kitchen is I'm just taking the little fine string out the back and then we just dust them in corn flour and deep fry them. And you can eat the whole thing. And it's absolutely delicious. Delicious. And then, Have you tried what? the Carl Schott this season? Carl Schott's, of course I have, Carl darling. <laughs> I love my Carl Schott's. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had any yet. I just, you, uh, you know, I'm really dying to go we'll and have, to have a bit. Fire up the uh, little yakitori grill over there, and we'll have to do some cow sots. Maybe Love in to. A minute. That'd be cool. Defo sounds good to me. What else have you got here? You got some fine cabbages there. <laughs> the <laughs> lovely. <laughs> I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. <laughs> cabbages. Sorry. Got a lot of cabbages. Cabbages. Cool. Cabbages are very nice. Uh, savoy cabbages, fresh from the farm uh, today, actually. But more importantly, we have the Brussels sprout. The Brussels sprout. Everyone goes on about the humble Brussels sprout. The humble Brussels sprout that we do textures of Brussels sprout at the moment in the restaurant. So we have a really fast, rapid saute with white wine, sage, and lemon, uh, with a little touch of butter and olive oil, and then lovely smoked uh, sprouts, and then raw shells, and then a textured puree as well, all to go with my lovely potato serene, which is absolutely phenomenal. (laughs) You sell it so well, Dave. Well, I'm, I'm already so hooked. Well. I cannot wait to uh, get into some of your, your sprouting. Sprouting. <laughs> Splendid. Why is it that British people hate sprouts? I mean, in- Because they're just cooked wrong, aren't they? <laughs> we all grow up with that brown sprout or that rock-hard sprout. It's just not cool, is it? Or the soggy sprout. The soggy, soggy, mushy brown one. Yeah, not good. <laughs> not good. No, no, no. 
But I think they're pro- well, probably one of my favourite vegetables alongside broccoli and a few other green uh, green See, giants. They're lovely, sweet, tender little baby cabbages, aren't they? They're delicious. But I think, you know, what is it, you know, obviously we've talked about the, the local zero kilometre, um, you know, idea that this restaurant is based on. But where, you know, you say you actually got into kind of learning about local farm foods and why that's so important. Back with Mr. Mr. Aiken. Yeah, Mr. Aikens, when, when Mr. Aikens opened uh, his first Tom's Kitchen, which I had the privilege of working alongside of him and his brother Rob, uh, they were basically going to small independent farms on the outskirt of London and that's where I started to learn when you're buying direct the difference in the produce and the flavour and the love that comes from that supplier translates to the kitchen you know and that, that energy is transferred and then if you're treating it correctly with love and compassion and, and listening to the vegetables as I like to say we treat them with love then it, it's you know you've got a win-win really it's just flavor town all over the place it's great Paula mentioned something about actually hearing vegetables talk is that true um yeah sometimes in my sleep <laughs> <laughs> i'm talking to carrots you know you said you clawed your sanity back in london I, i'm begging to differ here oh no this is the best <laughs> you should have seen me before <laughs> This is when you've sorted this, it this right is, out. This is me, like, wow. <laughs> Not walking a thin rope at all. <laughs> Fantastic. I mean, there's always a job for you this summer if you want to walk a, a little tightrope, hit uh, Woo Moon or something. Okay, fantastic. Yeah, sounds great. Cirque du Soleil, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> they do live on the island, the Cirque du Soleil, guys. I'm serious. Uh, yeah, I've heard that, actually. Maybe I should go meet them. Yeah, I think the, yeah, there's many a talent <laughs> in you, I can tell. <laughs> So Mr. Aitken was the man who showed you the way that, you know, those relationships, once they flourish, I mean, those producers and suppliers are going to give you kind of like the best that they can. And the more time, I suppose, you sort of spend getting to know them. And I just, I, I cannot get over actually when I'm driving around the island, like how many amazing farms and like what beautiful land there is here to be cultivated. And it kind of fascinates me that, you know, a lot of that land was kind of deserted by, um, you know, the workers of it back in the sort of 70s and fled into the tourism industry. So there's a lot of talk about how sort of desertified the land is here to grow and how, you know, there's a lack of farmers. But I feel like in the last sort of five years or so, that seems to be making like a massive resurgence. And we're really seeing, as you say, mm. Ibiza produce popping up and some real love being put yeah, into the land. Support. There is some real support going on and there's some fantastic farms on the island <clears throat> that are like zero plastic as well, which I use, uh, Huntos and the farm. Uh, they're amazing uh, organic producers that we use. And, you know, the farm doesn't even have a tractor. He's still using a horse and cart to plow his, uh, his fields, which I just love. I mean, that's, isn't that beautiful? It's just a romantic story. But there you go, that love, that passion goes into that farm that food that vegetable which comes to my restaurant and i put that love onto that plate love on the plate you heard love it here first <laughs> i mean i was interested in this story uh, about carrots earlier that you were telling me there's been a lot of carrots on the menu at pepita um in the last six months there has been <laughs> there has been a lot i'm actually renownedly known for my uh, carrot dishes which uh, everyone is very surprised when they eat the carrots at pepita because they are just so much more than a carrot but they're not it's just carrots but you obviously had the ginger ninja training you and in, in your carrot uh, creations <laughs> the, the ginger ninja did teach me to respect uh vegetables like meat 
basically a lot of uh, a lot of chefs kind of forget the fact that you know you can treat it the same as the meat you can cure it you can slow cook it uh they give so much texture there's so much vibrancy to vegetables that on pepita's menu i would say majority of the dishes are vegetable based uh vegan vegan vegetarian a lot of diversity on veg and textures of vegetables so you know they can be treated with uh great respect and they you know they pull things out the bag with textures and vibrancy that people you know i'm trying to show that that can be done Mm. and you don't always have to eat meat you know Mm. no absolutely and i think you know having a, a kind of like a you know a tasting menu to a degree is like a really beautiful way to showcase you know your incredible talent which like when i came here to experience the tasting menu i was blown away i have to say it was a a taste sensation and is that the style that you're kind of continuing with this summer to have kind of more of a tapas style affair yeah we we feel it we feel like obviously the tapas is well tapas is the way me and paula like to eat we like to nibble at things loads of different selection of things it's a great way to die He's coming back again. Sorry. Oh dear lord! It's a great way to die. It's a great. It's a great it's way a great, to die. It's a great like. way to die. Uh, and also, obviously, we use quite premium product, uh, premium produce at Pepita. So the tapas format for us is a great way to make it more accessible for people to try these more premium, expensive ingredients. Um, you know, so you can get this lovely line caught, you know, lobsters or something like this along that line, but you're just going to get this delicate piece of it. So you're not going to be spending 100 euros on a plate, you know, it could be, you know, 20 euros. Uh, but you're getting to experience all of these island delights, which is, you know, this is what we're here for to make to make it accessible, to open the doors to it. So we can all do this and eat like this. And my God, it's tasty. You know, what is the name Pepita? Where does that come from? So Pepita... <laughs> there's another meaning to a pizza of an old woman or something in Spanish, which I, you know, don't want to go down, but it's the, the seed to us. So it's the creation. So everything comes from the seed. So it's a idea that sprouted into a restaurant and it is born. So that is Pepita. It's the, the beginning, the core of the essence of everything. And how does that feel to be, you know, giving birth essentially to, to your kind of dream Bloody scenario painful. with your wife? <laughs> uh, no, I mean, this is a passion project for us and we love it to pieces. It's our little baby. We put so much work into it. Uh, I think a lot of our character comes out in this restaurant. Um, but we upcycle, we recycle. And this is it's just how we want to be we just want to keep it accessible easy fun relaxed not stuffy but it's just a little bit of us in our little space to sign off to hospitality in our in the correct way for us you know I mean, it really feels that way when you walk through the door. You've got the beautiful artwork on the, the walls, which we're going to talk about in a later episode. But what, you know, what is the idea of having, you know, a lot of kind of homely feeling and that kind of slightly edgy, arty vibe as well? Well, the uh, edgy, arty vibe is definitely more my wife because <laughs> she's arty and lovely. Uh, but the homely vibe is, it, well, this is it. Is, uh, you want to be as we were saying earlier, like, you know, you sit around the table, you break bread and you learn to conversate and meet people and so on. And that's what we want when you walk through the door. You're at home, you're comfortable, feel at home, like, you know, lick, lick the plate with your finger or, you know, swipe it around, do whatever you wish because it's meant to be this relaxed, unpretentious space. 
So that's where the art comes in. That's where the music comes in. The, the playlists are done by me and Paula. It's just homey music that we listen to, you know? It's just meant to make, make you relaxed. I have to say... Home from home. There was a real finger-licking moment, actually, when you, when you rolled out your carob amazing moosey gooey thing that there was just like oh my god bean mousse yeah that is that's become a bloody iconic dish that that's definitely not coming off the menu i'm glad about that yeah no definitely not and you know what's annoying for me i have to keep on trying to outdo it (laughs) and so far i haven't quite got there competing with yourself dave i am again because (laughs) god damn you oh no no (laughs) but Yeah, there's no beating the Caribbean mousse. Everybody raves about it. Absolutely. It is delicious. It's very rich, indulgent, silky smooth. <laughs> You're like milk Salty. tray advert now. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wearing the right outfit. <laughs> but it's delicious anyway. I'll stop talking about it. I mean, what? but with the carob story, I find that quite interesting because obviously seasonally it just, uh, you know, all fell off the trees, I think, right before yeah. Christmas. So, I, like... Well, obviously, they're going to storage now, and there's two different types, which I didn't know before living here. So there's ones that are, like, bent with the banana, and then there's the straight ones. Stop laughing. <laughs> Let's be serious about the caribou, please. So the straight... And there's the, the hand stra- gesture oh, that went with it, well, Dave. Yeah. You know, one likes to express with his hands. Uh, and the straight ones, uh, once you've dried them and powdered them down, they're actually really good for, 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 for pastry. So they have a lot of a sweeter, finer edge, cocoa-y taste. Uh, which is what we use here but it is funny that that, yeah they do fall from the trees and apparently they used to just be for animal feed yeah way back when Mm -hmm. and then obviously you know we've all got a little bit more creative with it and uh, people use it as sweeteners in their coffees and so on but yeah here we go turned it into a mousse and it's lovely I just love the way, though, that it seems to have um, gone up, I think, in price or, you know, lucrativeness, because I saw a lot of people on their hands and knees this winter, like, basically filling up bags full of carob and flogging it off somewhere. You're totally right. I mean, actually, I think they export loads from Ibiza to the mainland. I think there's a big, you know monopoly on the on the old carob bean. But, you know, I don't know when you figure it out. It's not really that expensive. And, you know, it's a treat, isn't it? Do you go foraging? Oh, I try to in my spare time. I have done a little bit of asparagus. A little bit of asparagus. Lots of rock samphire in Ibiza, which I love. Can't wait for that to come back. It's not far away. Not Anisparo. Far... Anisparo. 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 <laughs> Pardonnez-moi. <laughs> it's like a little orange, like round plum-looking thing with the stone I in the middle. I didn't know that one. Really? Yeah, I know. Oh my God, I thought you'd be all over Ooh, the Anisparo. I'm going to have to be now. <laughs> You're going to have to show me where to go, darling. I will. There's, a, there's many, many, <laughs> many Nisparo. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I'll get my coat. Yeah. <laughs> Ciao. <laughs> but I think Nisparos and uh, figs, obviously, are the, are figs, the big things yeah. here. Lovely. Uh, pomegranates as well, no? There's, I mean, it's, the island's full of little treasures once you know where to look. But do you have, you know, little uh, running... Because I, I see you've actually dropped dropped a few good uh, kilos. It's like you're looking very lean, like a fighting machine. Well, you know, the summer is coming. And uh, no, I've started running again, which is great. It's a great way to, you know, detox from the kitchen. I find the stresses and strains and then go for a nice little run in the countryside. It's good. It's good. But thank you for noticing how handsome I am these days. <laughs> 
I don't know if I, I don't know if I said handsome. Did Looking I put words lean, in your mouth, lean I? fighting machine. Lean, no, you look fab. Machine. You look like you've um, had a little bit of time off with, to relax before the summer begins. Yes, yes, yes. We did. We did. We managed to get three weeks. We did a few little jobs of refurbing, which aren't quite in place yet. But you know, mañana, mañana. Uh, but it was good to have a little rest. We have to look uh, look after ourselves because we know it's going to be a little storm coming. I feel so. Yeah, exciting times. But this is your first summer. How are you oh, feeling about no, it? Stop it. You're making me nervous. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're really, really G'd up for it, actually. I think we're really excited. I think it's going to be a great little uh, introduction to the island. And uh, we're coming out fighting. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's a good way to begin, for sure. And I was just, you know, alluding to the fact that these runs that you've been going on are like the ideal time that's when i do a bit of foraging basically we're gonna get my morning walks and you kind of spot like the tree that you're basically going to come back to later when it's dark and then basically take a few bits and pieces you know just to furnish one's um, beautiful desserts with in the evening so i you know just a little uh a, a little, thing there. a little hint a little little snippet of information there rob in the dark <laughs> On your run (laughs) and run fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, get my speed up. So, yeah, okay. Maybe soon I'll be robbing in the night. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can't wait to uh, to come back this summer and um, experience some of your (laughs) robbed items. Uh, No, seriously, I think it's going to be a massive summer. I mean, there's no denying that things are going to seriously pick up pace with um, obviously things, uh, you know, allegedly going back to normal. I mean, have you been here to Ibiza in normal summer season time? I have been, I have friends on the island and stuff, and it is a different beast, isn't it? And I do feel that uh, it is going to get very, very busy this year. And I think it's going to start earlier as well, everyone's telling me. So from April, I think, no, the clubs are opening now and the island's going to fill up slowly, slowly. I think the schools are breaking up in England from the 1st of April as well. So, yeah, it's going to be going to be full on. Going to start writing some menus and getting ready to rock and roll, I think. I think, yeah, I think it's going to be a really exciting summer. But you said you've been pretty busy the last few weeks, suddenly. Well, the reopening, which was last week, it was a great response from everybody. We fully booked on Tuesday. Wednesday was a lovely day. Uh, And then Thursday, Friday, we were full as well. So can't really ask for more than that, can you, really? Just coming back, uh, quick fire out the starting blocks. But it was great and a real real eye-opener to the potential that we've got on these lovely walls of ours. How would you describe like the local community of Santa Lalia? Because I think it's such a it's, it's changed so much, and um, even in the last year, probably with what's been going on with um, lack of people being able to maybe remain here because of the economy and the and the kind of change of structure in, on that front. Well, I mean, from my my personal experience, it's like we've met so many people here, and everybody's so warm and lovely and welcoming and helpful as well that like. You know, it's it's we've been ticking over with the locals since October, and you know that's paying off for us, and they love us, and we love them too, and we we all kind of look after each other, right? It's such a pleasure to have Pepita on to today's episode with their master chef, Mr. Dave Bone, as today's guest. But starting from April, they will start having a monthly art program with local artists showcasing their masterpieces. So do check out their Instagram for upcoming events starting next month. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of The Reset Rebel with me, Joe Yule, and Mr. Dave Bone head chef at Pepita. See you next week. Reset Rebel It's the Reset Rebel
Every day.